The word of the Lord from John chapter 1, verses 1 through 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God." And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You've got to start somewhere, and one of the reasons the stories of the great are great is because they begin small and go big. Every story is different as much as every story arc is the same. Everyone's story begins with birth, they grow up, endure adversity, and eventually do something that causes them to be remembered, good or bad. Genghis Khan is born a privileged baby until his father dies. Then he survives on marmots for several years until he unites the Mongols and creates the biggest empire in history. Martin Luther, born to a miner, grows up to become a monk, accidentally changes the world. Marie Curie is born to school teachers, plays with her father's science equipment, grows up to be a pioneer in the field of radioactivity. The great in history might begin in humble circumstances or with a silver spoon, but they all have to make the trip from infant to icon, and we marvel at the journey. It can be inspiring. It sometimes causes you to evaluate what you have done, and it leads you to look at children and grandchildren and wonder what they will turn out to be. That course of growing up is also inevitable because time only lets you move in that direction. 
It's also temporary because the wages of sin bring everyone back to earth and eventually into the ground. This Christmas day, we should certainly spend our time marveling that the baby in Bethlehem grows up to be, oh, the Savior of the nations and the King of kings who rules over all things forever. But then again, if you already know that he's the Son of God, you can kind of see that part coming. St. John, however, won't let you forget that the story of Jesus doesn't begin with his birth or even nine months before when the angel appears to Mary. In fact, the story of Jesus doesn't actually begin. Says John, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. When all things begin, Jesus is already there. He is the Son of God, begotten of his Father from eternity. He has no beginning because he is eternal. In fact, he is before all things because all things are made through him. In Genesis 1, we find the Spirit hovering while the Father creates by speaking. And as the Father speaks to create, all things are made through his Son, the Word. Nothing is made except what is made through him. Nothing yourself included, would be if it were not for Jesus. Not only are you created through Jesus, says St. John, but you are alive through Jesus. In him is life. The simple words of the first few verses of John chapter 1 are so profound that they are difficult to articulate. Christmas is easy to grasp when it is about a baby because you can comprehend babies. You can look in their eyes and watch their fingers flex and wonder what they will become when they have some power and ability. And it's always fun to do so when a baby is born. But this infant, when you look at the baby in the manger, don't just marvel at what he will grow up and do. Marvel that he is already the one through whom all things are created, the one who has no beginning or end, the one who is holding the world together even as he nurses in Mary's arms. Instead of just thinking that this is a baby with some extraordinary attributes, ponder that this is God, God who has willingly taken on the flesh and blood of the most helpless of human beings. He doesn't give up his divine nature and power, but he willingly and humbly conceals them for a while. And this, of course, should have you asking, why? Why is God wrapped in swaddling claws and lying in a manger? Why does he become flesh and dwell among us? Is he just there on impulse, like the prince who changes clothes with a beggar to see how the other half lives? Far from it. He comes to bring light and life, says John. That sounds pleasant enough, although you know that there's more to it than that. He comes to bring light because mankind has ruined creation, plunged it into darkness, and become blind to God and his gifts. Jesus comes to bring life because, although he designed creation so that mankind would live forever, the first man and woman chose death and threw that gift of life away. 
What a gift it was. One of the reasons you don't see how terrible was the fall into sin is that you cannot comprehend all that was lost. Adam and Eve were created in the image of God, reflecting his righteousness and holiness. As I mentioned last night, you tend to think that you are good when you feel anger or impatience or covetousness or lust, but just stop it before you can act upon it, which is, by the way, a good thing to do. But to be sinless means never to have that anger or impatience or covetousness or lust begin in the first place. Even when you are good and well-behaved, you are still far from righteous. You're still far from the image of God. And that is part of the fall, but not all of it. I was recently reading a book that pointed out the uniqueness of human beings beyond that sinlessness For God created mankind to bridge the gap between the physical and the spiritual. He gave them their bodies and breathed his breath into them. Now, he created animals with bodies, but there's no record of him giving them spirits. Angels are ministering spirits, but the Lord did not create them with physical bodies. We tend to fall into the world's trap of considering people to be little more than apes who can also play cribbage. But the Lord gave mankind a unique and astounding place in creation. Adam and Eve started out all that with everything. But then they sinned and returned to the dust. How great the fall into sin. But God does not forsake his people. The eternal Son of God is a baby in the manger because man has messed up big time, cut himself off from God ruining the entire universe in the process. He's become flesh to make things right again. But he hasn't become the perfect man to make things right by being the example who says, if you all follow my lead and do what I do, then maybe we can salvage something. That's more or less what Moses said with the law. No, Jesus has become flesh Because no one else can do what he does, namely live a holy life before God. He's become flesh because the situation is so dire that the only way to redeem mankind is to take man's place in life and in death. Remember, the stories of the great are great because they begin small and go big, right? Talk about reversal. Jesus, who has no beginning as the only begotten Son of God from eternity, through whom all things are created, he willingly goes from eternity to infancy. He doesn't sacrifice any of his divine majesty, but he willingly conceals it when he comes in the flesh. And his flesh includes a pullable beard, a scourgeable back, nailable hands and feet, and a pierceable side. Since he doesn't look like anybody especially divine, those he comes to save don't treat him like God. They do not know him. They do not receive him, says John. Instead, they betray him, condemn him, mock him, beat him, and crucify him. As they do so for all the wrong reasons, his Father in heaven pours out his wrath on him, forsakes him, and condemns him. 
That's not exactly beginning small and going big. That's being big and getting beaten down to nothing. And what does John call this turn of events? He calls it glorious. Why? Because this is why the word becomes flesh and dwells among us. This is how he saves you. This is how he restores you. He does not become flesh to be the example and say, if you act like me, you can save yourself. He doesn't become flesh to be the judge who starts condemning sinners. No, because judgment day is coming, he first dwells among us to take the place of sinners. He doesn't dwell among us full of righteous wrath and requirements. He dwells among us with grace and truth. He comes to restore what was lost, and from his fullness, for he is fully holy God and fully sinless man, you receive grace upon grace. You. Because God has become fully human, you will become fully human too. That may sound a bit odd and insulting, But an apple is more of an apple when it is not rotten. You will finally be fully human when you are no longer corrupted by sin. The Son of God is born incorruptible man so that he will raise you up uncorrupted on the last day. This is true about the all of you, body, mind, soul, and spirit, where you know and where you feel the corruptions of sin in your physical and mental health. You know that better is coming because the word became flesh. Where you are tired of battling those sins and temptations and have perhaps even grown weary of being you, the day is coming when you will be you without all those parts that dog you now. Where you suffer the grief of death or separation, the day is coming when all is mended. Where you watch your kids and worry about the future, You know about baptismal grace and that whatever joys or trials this life holds for them, they will be better than ever on the last day. I didn't ever imagine saying this to anyone on Christmas Day, but Genghis Khan has got nothing on you. I hope your Christmas Day is full of joy today. Whether or not joy is lacking, let it be full of hope. The Word became flesh, God became man to raise you, both to raise you from the dead and to dignify you as his cleansed creation. He visits you at this service in celebration of his birth, both with his Word and with his flesh and blood as his gift and testament. He lies in the manger in Bethlehem so that your story ends with never-ending life. Peace and hope and joy to you, for Christ your Savior is born. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.